what becomes abundantly clear is that the only way that we can address them is by working together. There's there's no single one of our wealth uh, business lines. There's no single one of our business lines outside of wealth, certainly, that could address all of those needs. We have to earn the trust of our other partners, which I think ties into the importance of full integration and then how to foster cross-departmental cooperation. That to me is where the where the, the magic is, is we've, you've aligned the interests of you know, your business lines throughout the organization from the client customer facing folks all through your senior level management. You meet regularly, you like each other, you're working for the same interest. And lastly is be honest with each other as you measure your output and monitor results. Whatever the AI program was, spit it out and the advisor went through it and said, well, this is probably pretty darn close to what my conversation would look like. What I know, right, is this will change our lives and our, the lives of our clients in ways that I, I can't personally anticipate. Hello, and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch podcast. Good to have you with us today. Industry Trend Watch is a monthly series with industry leaders discussing trends in the financial institutions channel. Productivity trending is provided by our bankchannelresearch.com portal, an interactive tool that reports on channel performance based on data collected monthly from over 50 financial institutions. In addition to industry trends, you will hear our guests provide their perspectives on the evolving strategic initiatives that are driving success and enabling our channel to better compete in the broader financial services industry. But first, we'd like to thank Ameriprise for making these podcasts possible. And as a show of appreciation, let's please listen to this brief message. This is Chris Melton, National Director of the Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group. Ameriprise Financial Institution Group is a proud sponsor of the BISA Monthly Industry Trending Podcast Series. With more than 25 years of experience and knowledge in serving the investment program needs of local banks and credit unions, Ameriprise Financial Institution Group brings a depth of understanding as well as investment capabilities to help clients and members feel more confident, connected, and in control of their financial life. We look forward to learning more about your financial institution and sharing how a successful investment program can be a competitive advantage. Call us at 800-679-1237 or visit us at Ameriprise.com slash AFIG. Securities offered by Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Not federally insured, no financial institution guarantee, may lose value. Thank you. Hello and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch. I am Scott Stathis. I will be your host along with Bob Mattel, who will introduce himself shortly. So this month, we will discuss how to foster cross-departmental relationships to provide integrated wealth management, as well as thoughts on how AI may affect our industry. Uh, So with that, Bob, let me pass it to you to introduce yourself and have you introduce our guests. Sounds like a plan. And hello, everybody. I am Bob Mattel, and let me welcome you to this April Showers edition of our BISA Industry Trend Watch. As Scott said, we have another great panel with us today. But before we meet them, let me remind you to visit bisanet.org for all things BISA. And also thank Ameriprise for their sponsorship of this podcast series. So let's meet today's panel. Yes, I have my radio voice on. Don, you're with Wintrust, right? Hi, Bob. Uh, Hi, Scott. I am. We are the uh, second largest uh, financial institution headquartered uh, in Chicago. Uh, We have a broad base of offering, of course, to help our customers and clients alike from 
know, banking through wealth management and plenty of other tertiary businesses. Uh, but we we are uh, Chicago's bank. Excellent. And we thank you for joining us again, because this is not your first podcast. And Gary, this is, I believe, your first podcast. So you're from Randolph Brooks. Well, hello there, and thank you for having me. First, I will state that I'm a born and raised Chicagoan, so that uh, that city is near and dear to my heart, and my travels over the years have landed me here in San Antonio, Texas, where I have the good fortune of leading the RBFCU Investments Group, and we have uh, 16 advisors. Uh, we do not have any licensed bankers. Uh, we're we're knocking on the door of about a billion dollars in AUM. We went through a broker-dealer change recently, really focusing on recurring revenue. So last year we finished around two and three-quarter million in revenue. We're trending uh, much better this year with that refound focus on a lot of the things that we'll be talking about today that drives success. Most importantly, the success of our our clients. And I'm happy to say that tomorrow, the second of May, is my one year anniversary here. So I've been doing this job for quite a while, just uh, not here in this location. So I appreciate the fact that they have me here and glad to be a part of it. And thank you for the invitation. And thank you uh, again as well. And since you mentioned May, this is the April showers, May flowers edition. So with that, sit back, relax, get a cup of Joe or a mug of beer, and let's turn it over to Scott. All right. Thanks, Bob. And, and Terry, you mentioned uh, you, you mentioned the bro recent broker-dealer conversion, and uh, you guys converted to Ameriprise. So just a shout-out to Ameriprise, since they also happen to be the sponsor of this podcast series, which we're very appreciative of. And congratulations on your one-year anniversary, Terry. Thanks. All right, so let's kick off the discussion with um, kind of a deeper dive into a subject that we've been talking about on the last few episodes uh, and that is the difference between an investment services program and a true wealth management program. So one of the things we know needs to be the case for a true wealth management program to exist is what we call cross-departmental cooperation, having trusts, trust and friendships, referrals, teamwork, et cetera, between departments. So, you know, ultimately sharing client opportunities. So the question is, how do you foster that important dynamic in an organization? Don, you want to start us off with that? Sure. Uh, as, as you know, this is a topic that's been near and dear to my heart for quite some period of, of time. Whenever we have conversations about this uh, internally among partners in our wealth practice, as well as uh, partners outside of our you know wealth practice to include you know, re retail banking, community and business banking, as well as uh, retail mortgage, it, it always starts from the same place. And that, that place is you know, the needs of our customers, the needs of our clients. Uh, that should be, you know, the top interest of, of all of us. That's the reason we exist. That's why, why we as an organization go into the market every day to help them. And it's an endeavor to uh, chip away at the positions, right, that, that underlie that broader interest and in those positions are usually internally and, and self-focused, right? What's important to me? What do I need for my, you know, particular, you know, business line? How am I measured? Um, what are my incentives? When we ratchet up, you know, the level of importance to uh, interest, that tends to start to chip away at those uh, individual positions that each of us bring or brings to the table. And frankly, we have in our minds when we when we start these kind of conversations. You know what? What is that interest? That's really what's doing what's right for our customers and for our clients. And you know, Scott, you you put up a chart at one of your 
roundtable some years ago. I'm sure I've told you that that you know I've I've stolen it from you. <laughs> it's, it's you, have <laughs> you, keep on, but, you keep on sending me the uh, royalty checks too, so I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I send you something far more important than that, and that's appreciation and the recognition of your thought leadership on this on this matter. You know what what that is is it was it's a pie chart that you divided into six you know parts and and it's it's an understanding and recognition that each each household has uh, six six immediate needs and that would be income now uh, income later savings and liquidity have access to credit uh, legacy and there's one more Bob and I can never can never remember what that last one is I think it's protection if I'm not not mistaken <laughs> but to divide those uh, needs into six broad categories. When I use your chart, Scott, I, I put it on the screen and then I have another circle that, that surrounds it. And it, it shows those business lines that must be involved if we're able to uh, address those needs that clients have. And what becomes abundantly clear is that the only way that we can address them is by working together. There's there's no single one of our wealth uh, business lines. and There's no single one of our business lines outside of wealth, certainly, that could address all of those needs. So, so the question is, are, are they being addressed? Yes or no, right? If they are, where are they being addressed? And is are they being addressed with advisors who are capable using products and services that have efficacy? Are they current, you know, or, or not? Or again, are they not being addressed? So you know, depending on how those those questions are answered and depending on the skill sets of our, you know, folks, uh, you know, are we able to identify these things and then deepen the relationship? One of the things that we learned too along the way is that we, we need to align the support of those groups that, you know, support our efforts uh, from the product teams to technology, uh, to marketing, employee communications, human resources, compensation, all of those things that support us being effective in what we do has to happen. Uh, and so we want to have some influence on the direction that, that each of those you know, supporting businesses work uh, and also the speed of that implementation, right? We, we learned that you know, if, if you think of it as they're rowing a canoes across the lake. You know, sometimes we find that you know one, one group is about on the other side of the lake, reached the shore, while some have, haven't even left the shore yet on the opposite side, and some you know the rest of us are somewhere in the middle. Uh, so, so we want to work you know better together so we can you know be on the same same journey and enjoy it along the way. Uh, and we engage with each other you know regularly. You, you you mentioned I think in your tee up on the question, Scott, is you know yes, there's there's you know, professionalism, there is the interest involved, but the, the question is, is do you have a relationship where, you know, A, you, you kind of like each other, that you appreciate and respect each other? Do you enjoy each other's company? And ultimately, do you do you trust each other? You know, the, the last thing I'd say about this is, you know, what is what is trust? You know, trust is doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it and how uh, you say you're going to do it. And you do that repeatedly. And you must do it from the get-go because trust is one of those things that when it's broken or when it's questioned, that's awfully hard to get back. So, you know, we encourage each other that from the get-go, you know, to to do what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, how you're supposed to do it, and what, watch what happens. That, to me, is where the where the, the magic is, is we've, you've aligned the interests of, you know, your business lines throughout the organization from the very client-customer-facing folks all through your senior-level management you meet regularly, you like each other, you're working for the same interest. You know, lastly is be, be honest with each other as you measure your, you know, output and monitor results. You know, if it's not working as you you want it to, A, you have to make your partners aware of if there's something that's not working as it as, as it needs to. And you also have to simultaneously be open to their to their input, uh, or else again it doesn't work because that speaks directly to trust. But that's the way we we go about it broadly. 
Well, Don, I mean, there's a there's a, a lot packed into what you just said, and, and I think one of the one of the critical things is developing internal friendships and trust, right, cross departmentally between department departmental heads, and then that trickle down. So between people that work in those departments, you know, the the best organizations from the standpoint of having that cross departmental business flow have very purposely fostered those internal friendships, which yield that trust because it doesn't happen on its own uh, because each department has their own PL and their own self-interest. Like you said, it has to be fostered. There has to be a plan of action to make it happen. And it doesn't happen overnight because what we're talking about is a cultural change to the organization, but it's well worth initiating the things that that you have to to start going down that road, right? You and at first you have to force people together, meaning you you have to create those meetings, those cross departmental meetings where you're talking about opportunity sharing and servicing all the needs of a client and identifying what those needs are, which takes some good discovery, which we've talked about on these on these uh, episodes as well. So, you know, that's the bottom line. You're talking about affecting the culture in a positive way by developing internal friendships and then then the magic starts happening, but don't take it for granted. It has to be something that is by design. With that, Terry, let me pass it to you for your thoughts. We could probably have a whole podcast on just the subject of trust, right? Yep. Uh, and I think that's a great place to start. It's It's right here in front of us. And I think we have to earn the trust of our other partners, right? So we have to give them the trust I'll say unconditionally, if we want to create or foster the relationship and we have to earn their trust, which I think ties into, I think the importance of full integration and then how to foster cross-departmental cooperation. And something Don said struck a chord is that aligned interests. We do share a lot of common goals. And I think that's one way that you can create that bond and that trust is by focusing on those sort of things. What I have tended to do is to over-communicate which might sound tedious or cumbersome when you say it out loud, but it's so important in over-communication of making sure your partners understand what your goals are, but also listening and asking questions. Well, what are your goals? What are you trying to obtain? The same way we want our advisors to coordinate or conduct, not coordinate, but conduct a meeting with one of their clients or a potential client is understanding what are your needs? Because if I help you get what you want, then we're going to get what we want and collectively right? We have mutual success by over communicating and going to your branch partners, whether it's the senior leadership or the local leadership and getting buy-in for your ideas, right? Okay. We want to do a lobby day. Well, why? And what does that consist of? And, and being sensitive to, you know, how's that going to affect the branch and how's that going to affect our flow and making it a team effort as opposed to, well, we want to do this and we need this and we need this and, and get rid of the us and them and make it a, a really a we type situation. Because I think if you help the branch staff and the team and the leadership understand the why, then it's going to be much easier for them to get on board. Plus, if you provide just a, just a fair amount of recognition, right? You scratch that itch and you, you send an email off to branch leadership about how great this group is or these individuals are. I mean, you'll get even more and more buy-in and you're just solidifying and deepening that professional relationship. When things aren't going great, right? When there's some friction uh, to address it very, very quickly. If an advisor maybe is is a little bit late to show up for meetings or maybe the branch manager doesn't feel that the 
they're paying enough attention to the branch or what we talk about is right, making sure we refer back. You have competing goals, right? You have loan goals and other sorts of goals. How can we give back by uncovering needs, helping the branch reach their goals? And it's, again, goes back to that, those aligned interests that we talked about. But if the advisor, at least in the eyes of the branch, aren't carrying their weight, address it very quickly and bring those folks together so the branch knows that you are a partner as opposed to, I don't know, just, you know, some kind of parasite coming in and sucking off of their their resources and, and their objectives. But if you do have that give back and that partnership and that collaboration, then yeah, I think you'll find that you'll be firing on all cylinders. Of course, it's, it's much easier said than done. It, it takes a lot of hard work and coordination and cooperation. Absolutely. And um, Don, I know you have some some additional thoughts, but let me just make a few comments, Terry, on what you said. Um, and actually, let me stitch together something that Don said and something that you said, Terry. So the, the six categorical needs that our clients have, again, are savings and liquidity, one, credit, two, income now, three, the shorter term goals, sending your kid to school, buying a car, buying a house, whatever, income later, which are the retirement goals, protection, which are the insurance-oriented goals and and legacy, and if you think about those six, um, a, a a bank or credit union, if you just look at what I'll call the retail side of the house, can handle about two point three of those six goals. So to truly service all a client's needs, you have to have integrated wealth management to handle the balance of those goals, and then you're working together very well as a team. So back to the subject of cross-departmental cooperation, one of the things that could be interesting, and I just thought of this as you were talking, Terry, is um, what's key, we, we've talked about developing internal friendships and trust, right? But, but what's key there is understanding of the value proposition of each of the departments. So maybe one of the things that you can do as you're working on, the, of, on, on fostering that in the culture is uh, purposely set up meetings between departments and 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 call them discovery meetings and the objective of these meetings or the 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 uh the requirement of these meetings is that if you have a meeting between two two departments each of those departments has to come up with at least four good discovery questions for the other department and those discovery questions are focused on understanding the va value proposition of that other department right so so you have each side of that equation coming up with four good discovery questions. And then when they're, when they're together, they ask away so they can really understand the value proposition. So we always say discovery is incredibly important relative to an advisor doing a good job of the discovery of their clients. But discovery is also important internally, right? And so if you at least initially force the issue, meaning that you have a department create discovery questions for another department they're going to be meeting with that are focused precisely on the value proposition, that could be a good way to start the dialogue. Right. So it could be an interesting internal strategy or concept to start fostering that cross-departmental appreciation. Sorry about I just ha had that thought as you were talking, Terry. So uh had to interject. So Don, I'm gonna pass it back to you. Thank you. Yeah, that's listen to Terry, that's exactly where my my brain took me to. It it is about discovery and and the better job we as advisors do in in that process of discovery. And when when I talk about discovery, of course, it's not just assets. It's about what makes that you know, client tick or prospective client tick, what's important to them, what are their highest you know, life aspirations, and whether you're using uh, you know, whatever planning tool you're using, is it really the basis of your client interactions? 
And it's really clear on our end that where we have advisors who have fully adopted you know, the planning tool is, is a way to discover you know, assets and what's important to a client, uh, that the relationship on our end is deeper. And it also uh, offers us better opportunities to make introductions to our to our business partners. As you're, as you're talking, Scott, I, you know, I was thinking about you know, the way you know, we, we define you know, value and, and, and it's a way to think about it, whether you're working with a you know, client or, or customer or even among your you know, fellow business lines. And what is value? People talk about it all the time and, I, and ask somebody to define it. And that's where it gets harder. <laughs> and, you know, value, value in my mind is you know, helping someone identify, you know, a problem that they didn't know that they had. Uh, it's helping them to identify a solution uh, to a problem that they know about, uh, but that solution is novel. It's, it, you know, it wasn't uh, clear to the person beforehand, you know, or thirdly, uh, brokering, you know, capabilities and skills, uh, you know, helping people and business lines uh, in, in ways that they they can't uh, help themselves. So, you know, in those in those three points, I think, you know, really uh, summarize what what value is. And I, I think if you approach those meetings, you know, to your point, you know, both both, um, you know, Scott and Terry, when, when you're meeting with your business lines, if you think of value that way, uh, you can't help but ratchet back up to the interest level again. And likewise, during, you know, a customer interaction or a client interaction, if you think about value that way, you also can't help but identify opportunities for your uh, fellow business line partners. So I, I think it's I think it's important to have that in mind all the time. Yeah. Well, I'll give you one other value point. So, so, so in my mind, the real value that an advisor can give to a client and a wealth program can give to its clients is letting your clients know very clearly that you have their backs, right? How do you do that? Well, you do that by very clearly understanding what their needs and drives are, right? To me, one of the most powerful discovery questions is, as an advisor sitting with a client or prospect, what does it mean to you to take care of your loved ones? I mean, right, for most people, that's the most important financial driver in their life. Not for everybody, right? But for most, that's the most important financial driver. And the other side of that equation is, you know, what what anxieties do you have about finances? So if you know what it means for them to take care of their loved ones, and then the related anxieties on the other side of that equation, then you're starting to, 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 to develop a true understanding and give the client the impression that your desire is to have their backs. So you're, you're helping them do what is necessary for them to, to, to protect their loved ones, et cetera. Right. So. Hey, Scott, on that, on that topic and kind of back to the inner, you know, business line meetings, if you will, we've recently had, you know, an opportunity to work with, you know, our, our, our partners. And what we what we found too is that when it's a solution we in management and leadership come up with and you know try to push it down. Sometimes there's a little resistance to that, right? Because yeah. you know we we don't know. We're not on the front lines every day. They know they have their own ideas of what's worked and what doesn't work, uh what the flow of their day looks like. Uh you know, in reality, we've tried to flip that and say, terrific, well, here's what we want to accomplish. <laughs> you guys come up with ideas on how we're going to, on how we're going to do that. And so we put a you know, group of you know, frontline you know, folks together, customer and client facing folks together to try and you know, address that. What came out of that was this want to 
you know, in, in outside of, of wealth, wealth management. So wealth management for this purposes is, is, you know, one group of people and you add to it um, again, retail banking, community and business banking, as well as mortgage is, you know, ask me to do one thing, you know, just ask me to do one thing for you that if I do this thing, it's, it's going to help your business, it's going to make life easier. And if you do the math on that, that means that each of our business lines are being asked to do, you know, Three, up to three things at, you know, the point of sale or the point of service, you know, in a, a meaningful interaction, you know, point with a customer or client. And then let's just, you know, continue to stay in front of each other and see, you know, see how that works, right? We need to meet regularly to see if if what you're asking of me, if it's delivering the results that you anticipate, if I'm doing it right, or if there's a way that you could, you know, help me and coach me to, to do it better. Because, I, you know, ter Terry was spot on when, you know, he said, you know, we, we have to give trust, right? But we also have to give introductions um, <laughs> unconditionally, uh, you know, because we, we want to, you know, receive introductions back from our, our partners. But the way to do that is to, to give, right, before you before you receive. So, you know, that, that was kind of our thought behind that. We're, we're pretty early on in the implementation of it. The early results, you know, have been encouraging in terms of the volume of introductions between our, our partners, you know, as a result of that simple act. <laughs> We're excited about the direction of it. Let's move on to another question we have. I'm going to pass it back to uh, to Bob for the second question. All right, and, and actually, that um, was a good transition here because you know Donya said something about reality. So let's bring this conversation into reality. You know, the current economic client. You know, has the fact that we're in a banking crisis, and I would say we're in a banking crisis. We woke up today to First Republic being taken over by Chase on the heels of SVB and First Citizens and Signature and New York Community Bank. So we're kind of in a banking crisis. And we also have this interest rate situation going on as well. You know, and sometimes that causes issues in investment programs for whatever reasons. So has this whole evolution from investment services to wealth management, is there a pause? Is it a wait and see? How are things going currently in, in light of the um, current economic um, environment, uh, Terry? Um, any any effects on any transition to wealth and on your day-to-day -day life? Thanks, Bob. I, the short answer is yes, but I, <clears throat> the long answer is I think the transition from investment management to wealth management is definitely a long journey. And you'll have these moments. And again, you can really equate the development and the growth of a program to the journey I think that your clients take, right? You have those early phases and you're, I don't know, you're starting with 50 bucks a month into an IRA. And over time that evolves and changes and, and you accumulate wealth. The banking crisis that, that we're witnessing, I would look at one of those obstacles that you could equate to, right? So, you know, Russia invades Ukraine or the pandemic or, you know, the, the real estate crisis, you know, 0708 and some longer than others, some more acute. For us today, and when I talk to, to our team members, I talk about the fact that I, I don't want us to be awesome investment managers. I want us to be wealth managers, which again, as we're talking about, is that whole holistic aspect and so many more facets of a client's financial life. And in this case, I get a little nervous because we have folks throwing cash at us that they don't want to invest. So that's our challenge. And I, I'll take all the money, right? You give it to me, I'll take it. I'll find a place for it. We'll keep it safe. And then uh, once it's under our umbrella, 
then you know, we'll, we'll have a review and we'll figure out where the best place is for that cash. Where I get a little nervous is, do we take that into that brokerage account? Do we use some sort of brokered certificate or, or another cash alternative, a true cash alternative, right? Not like a, you know, bond muni fund or something. Or as we just talked about with the first question, do you refer that back to your branch partners? And what does that look like? And short-term money, I've got some advisors that are just, they will only refer those certificates back to the branch, but they're very, very good about staying in touch with the client because they feel, or in our case, the, the member or the member client slash potential client. And making sure that when that three-month certificate matures, that there's a conversation. If it's not on our platform, right, you don't have the tasks or reminders built into that profile, uh, you could watch that money go somewhere else to someone that has a better rate. And if it's in the brokerage account, you've got a little bit more control and there's a few more hoops they have to jump through. So long-term, I don't think it's affected us. Uh, maybe it's even helped us because it's given us more visibility and those clients that when you're doing the discovery and they tell you everything about their whole life, except for the X amount of dollars they have over in this other bank that they don't tell you about for some reason, it comes to light. At credit unions, I think we have the good fortune of generally maybe not having rates at the very top, but you know, in the top percentage, maybe we're in the top 10 or 15%, which is a draw for those people that they're, they're looking to just park money for a little while. Uh, so we get visibility on the funds that people either we knew had somewhere else and we couldn't get over or we didn't know had somewhere else. And now we have an opportunity to talk about it. So it's one of those moments where, right, if you evaluate the situation, give proper guidance, then you can deepen the relationship and grow your AUM while helping that, that client on their financial journey. So it hasn't, certainly hasn't paused what we're doing to, for a full transition to wealth management. It has had an effect on you know, how we're getting from point A to point B. And you make some very good points there, especially with the uh, the move to either a bank CD or a brokerage CD. Now, assuming a brokerage CD is going to be assets under management, right? And and that's what we're striving for. CD outside of that, not not so. And but you're getting that benefit from the cross departmental opportunities to really drive wealth management. Not an easy situation to be in, you know. So the broker, how does that broker even make that decision? I mean, bank CDs are probably in the four and a half percent range you know, for one year. I don't know what the brokerage CDs are, but they're very as competitive or maybe even more so. Tough, tough. You know, that's a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah, well, on our platform, we had a handful of First Citizens brokered CDs. So that was a conversation we were having, right? So <laughs> you're right, there's there's risk related to it and managing that risk. And for us, it's, it's personal pr preference. We talked about trust. I trust my advisors to make a, a decision and the standards that I hold them to is you need to communicate. We have to be organized and make sure that whether it's on the credit union banking platform or whether it's inside your book, that you know when those certificates are going to mature and that you're having follow-up conversations with those clients. Uh, good point. Good point. And all those listening to this podcast are now going to grab their brokered CD um, rate sheets and see where their what what uh, organizations are behind those. So. Uh, right. Done. I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts about this in the current <laughs> economic environment, whether it be from you know the banking situation or the the um, the interest rate situation. Yeah, I do, and I, I you know I, I would I would start with you know a conversation that, you know you guys were just having, which is you know <laughs> bridging this gap between the the, the bank uh, and 
you know, what we do on the well side. And, and we're no different than any other institution out there in that in endeavor to you know, satisfy you know, client and customer wants, you know, our, our retail bankers have been very aggressive in the last you know, year or so, 18 months of making you know, a lot of introductions to us that are rate based. That's not the ideal way, of course, to be introduced into a relationship, but it's it's the easiest way for bankers to do it when you have somebody who you've you've tried to satisfy, you know, to the extent you can with your current deposit rate sheet. And depending on who that customer is or the value of that relationship to the bank, if they're willing to make an exception on some level, in any event, uh, you know, many of those folks <laughs> end up in in our offices as a, as a result of. Um, the outcome of those discussions. So what do we do? And, and, you know, we, we have, we have really advised our, our clients to, to bring that on board. Right. Uh, but the question is, what do you do with it? When you, when you, when, you know, after you do it, are you taking them somewhere? Are you taking them on a journey? So if you just simply take those dollars and purchase a, a marketable CD or a, a treasury, and you expect that when you know that matures, that you're going to have a relationship with that that person. You're you're sadly mistaken. Uh, it, that the juice wasn't worth the squeeze in that that case. If you're taking those types of opportunities on today, take them somewhere. Where where is that somewhere? It's okay. I will solve your immediate want today, right? But what we need to do is we need to sit down and I want to understand you know where this money fits in the grander scheme of what it is that you want to accomplish. And why it's important that you accomplish these things, and we're, we're going to sit down and do our our planning. If it's agreeable to you, when you leave here today, that we'll we'll have an appointment set for the you know next month. Uh, that when I call you, you'll you'll pick up the phone and we'll have a conversation about the ideas that we have. And you're generally amenable to, you know, at least going on a this journey together. I'll make the trade. <laughs> I'll make the purchase. If it's if it's something that you don't want to do. And you won't explore it. We're, we're not the we're not the wealth management practice for you because that's really what what we do here. So, you know, we we want to take those uh, opportunities today to meet people, and then rely on our advisors, you know, skill set to do something uh, that's meaningful with those folks beyond simply getting them a higher rate on those you know on the dollars in question immediately. You know, next I would say is that it's it's. Um, it's an opportunity, right? What What is this environment giving us today? It gives us an opportunity. It's an opportunity to get closer to our clients and an opportunity to get closer to our to our bankers. Like you mentioned earlier, uh, you talked about culture, right? How How do you, as a banker, and when I say banker, I'm not just talking about the the person you know sitting sitting immediately across the the customer at the point of sale. I'm talking all the way up the banker food chain, right? How do you, as as a banker? know that you have a gajillion dollars of uninsured deposits on your balance sheet and suggest to the world that you actually care about your your customers. Guys, that's a culture thing right there. You, you look no further than that. Yes, signature <laughs> bank. <laughs> you got to look, look no further than that. You know, let's not be that. <laughs> let's make sure that that, you know, we are doing what's right by the customer and the client. This very morning, uh, before this this call, was was the second time that we've pulled together a list for our um, advisors. Say, hey guys, here's the trades, here's the purchases that you have made over the last year of your of CDs and treasuries. If if you've not taken these folks on a, on that journey that we've described, send them back. <laughs> 
you know, to the to the bank. Be good, be good partners, and let's do the right right thing. And always encourage your your bankers, um, and we encourage our bankers at our our level to make sure that you are running similar kind of reports on the deposit side to a little different effect. But make sure that your your customers have adequate FDIC coverage. In our world, it's a little easier because we have 15 different bank charters, so we have a program that's called Max Safe, where our depositors can have up to 3.75 million. Uh, in insured deposits per right and capacity. What what does all this mean? Again, it's it's it speaks directly to your culture. <laughs> Do you have a client and customer centric culture where you care about them <laughs> at the most basic level to make sure that the deposits they have are FDIC insured? And then on our end, can we do what what it is that we're supposed to be doing with these 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 clients? And if we are unable to move the needle on on actually building a relationship, let's do what's right by our partners. And frankly, by the customers, if they're telling us that, look, I'm not, you know, I want the safety and security of <laughs> you know, FDIC coverage. Let's just send them back to the bank and, and work with, you know, work with our bankers and be good, be good partners. Um, Terry, I know you have a, a follow-on question or comment, but let me go back to one thing that you said just a minute or two ago. I think you were suggesting that in order to get into this conversation with a client about either a brokered CD or a CD, you're going to do a full-on financial plan, properly engage them in a wealth management conversation. Yep, we're not saying you, you. I'm not saying that you must do it today. I'm saying that you have to be open to the idea of what it is that we do, and if if it's it, and and here's what we do, right? And then it, again, it comes down to our advisors being able to explain their value and in, in their process, right? What it is that they do for for customers. If they if they can't do that, then they're not going to win anyway. So so they need to be able to explain that to a client. And we're asking for the client's agreement on the front end for their commitment to at least, you know, play ball, if you will, as, as we endeavor to help them accomplish what they want to accomplish. And you know, how do you do that? I mean, we ask them, we ask them a lot of questions, you know, and, and start start as an attorney does where they never ask a question that they don't know the answer to, right? So what what brings you in here today? Why are you here? You know, why did banker Bob, you know, feel it was important to introduce us? Well, your rates stink. Okay, well, why why does that matter? You know, why is, is it why is it important for you to have a higher rate? Well, I want to make more money. Why is that important? It it sounds really simple, right? But what you're doing yeah. is you're building this logical ladder to, to where okay, well, there's a reason I have to have more money. It's because there's things that I want to accomplish. Whether it's you know from the very basic part of I'm I'm retired and I need to pay my bills every month and you know live the life that I want to lead. Great. And, and it lends itself to a lot of questions and you know conversations about well how, you know how do you determine where you're going to put your money? Are you on the internet? Are you reviewing the local papers every day, trying to find the best rate you can? How much time does that take you? You know, then you're going to get in your car and you're going to drive from point A to point B at five dollar a gallon gas. You know, is this something you enjoy? Do you like it? You know, and some people, yeah, I like doing that. You know, I like I like the hunt. Okay, uh, you know, but for a lot of people, they don't like the hunt. Right? It's a chore. What if we eliminate that chore and let's really solve the greater problem here, um, and then let's let's even ratchet up from that problem into what it is that you want to do with the you know with your life and how we can help you with that. So you know when we can get to that point, we're asking for the client's commitment. <laughs> Say, will you will you will you take this journey with us? And again, if the answer to that is no, then it just you know why why would we take the time and the risk right every every client represents some level of risk for us even in a low risk trade like a purchase like a CD or a treasury why would we take on that risk if if uh, clients already told us that they're not willing to consider really what it is that we do 
So we, we, we try to vet them from the beginning. And, and frankly, Bob, we, we have had success of converting some of these introductions from, you know, what I would say is a customer and converting them into a client because we've had those conversations on the front end. Yeah, and that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. A customer is buying a product and a client is having a relationship. So Terrence, uh, Terry, you, you had a thought? I think Don sums it up perfectly. Right? And his last comments were were related to what I was thinking about is the fact that we do have an intake and discovery process and we want that individual that you're talking to to understand what we do and why we do it. In that transition to wealth management, right? If you're going from investment management to wealth management and now you're just managing cash, right? That's arguably a step backwards, but you can still be a wealth manager and have a large cash portfolio, right? That can be part of the relationship. So long story short, the product, the product is the plan around that is the service and the guidance and the relationship that comes with it. Uh, and I do this, this, this provides a lot of opportunity, but it makes me nervous in the sense that I don't want to stop that transition. And if folks don't want that long-term relationship, that's okay. You shake hands and say, we're so glad that you're a part of our institution and this fine uh, banker is going to take care of you going forward. And if you ever have any questions, you know where to find us, but at least they know who you are, what you do and how and why you do it. Well, guys, th thanks so much for that uh, uh, conversation. I think it, what it really brings out is if you go with a client-first strategy, there are no roadblocks, rates, banking crisis that can really disrupt um, you know, what you're trying to do out there. But there might be another, I, another opportunity out there, and I think Scott's going to take us down another path with potentially another distraction that's going on in industry. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know if it'd be a, a distraction or what, but um, and, and bef before I bring up this next subject, let me just uh, let me just mention something that you guys um, inspired as a kind of a wrap up thought there. So to me, true integrated wealth management is doing as a team with your banker partners uh, is doing what's in the best interest of your clients. You know, with, with without the the uh, the best interest of your department or your book in mind, because if you do the right thing, it will always come back to benefit you, right? So, but the key is like like you guys both said, I mean, you have to have a plan with the client, yeah, and, and to have a plan, you have to understand the client's broader perspectives and and objectives, right? What's interesting to me, if you think of integrated wealth management, is, is this. So think of any banker in your organization and um, how often they have a need to be in touch with their clients. And I, and I, and I think we can make the case that um, there is no other person in the organization that has a better opportunity to be in regular touch with clients in the organization than a true wealth manager. So you guys and your teams, your advisors have the opportunity, if done right, to be the quarterback for the client throughout the whole organization, not just in wealth management. And there's a ton of value in that, right? Because your advisors, if they're doing their job properly, have more of, a, of an opportunity to stay in regular touch with the clients. A loan officer doesn't have that, right? not even a business banker has that potentially as much as, as a good advisor has it. Right. So I think that's the, that has to be the mentality of, 
of your best advisors, we're the quarterback for our clients and we're looking out for their best interests. We've gotten, we, we have their backs, right? I mean, that has to be the mentality. Can I vent for just a sec? It's always been a point of consternation for me that, that, our, our mortgage, you know, partners, and and I, I do share that this point regularly. I say, why not introduce us? You know, when, you know, when you understand that we we are relationship managers, right? We we manage the relationship, and the very nature of mortgage is is, you know, they would say it's relationship focused. In in my mind, it's relationship focused on the the realtors, right? They work with realtors very closely to to get the flow of of opportunities, you know, coming to them. Less so on the actual borrower side, right? You know, and you know, relationship management isn't. I get a magnet, you know, to put on my refrigerator with the, you know, bowls and White Sox, you know, <laughs> schedule on it. Uh, it it's. It's staying in front of your clients and being proactive when, you know, we endure markets like we endured, you know, last year. And it's those very moments in time where you you, you build that loyalty uh, in, in, you know, trust between professional and, and, and customer. So when you include us, when you introduce us, you are effectively outsourcing <laughs> relationship management, you know, to, to a professional uh, who will engender that, you know, loyalty to our team. And I'm a member of your team at a moment that you want it <laughs> engendered, which is, you know, very regularly. Here's what our service level agreements look like. Here's how we stay in front of we stay in front of people. You guys have great information because people complete. It's called the I think it's the 1003, right, for the mortgage application. So why not introduce us to everybody who has more than X dollars and you know liquid assets on their app, and we we can help them. We know where this came from, so we also know that we're, we're in a we're in a great position you know, when somebody wants a second home, when somebody should be refinancing a home, and we'll send them right, right, right back to you. And yet, we just don't get a lot of traction in that regard. And and it's um, it, it's 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 a point of frustration for me, as you can as you can tell. But we, you, you outsource that true relationship management component for zero dollars. It costs you nothing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a business line. And and you would I, I would think that that would be of extreme value. Either I don't explain it clearly, or or they just disagree because we've not been able to get, get traction with it. But you know, I, I wish I wish we could, and you know, apply that just like you said against the the banker cadre, against the you know small business banking. It, it all it fits in the same same kind of space. Well, I I, I think, and you tell me, I, I think the, the inherent problem may be that they, as you say that to them. They trust you, but they don't know the advisors well enough, right? And in their mind, they have a relationship that they're not going to risk with an advisor that they don't know well or maybe doesn't trust or the advisor, you know, wings it too much and doesn't have a plan like they have, whatever, right? Right. So I think the key is going that next step and introducing them to the right advisors that you know will make the right impression. And if you really want to take it to the next level, you may want to have a set of advisors that you call um, something like, you know, mortgage teammate specialist and business bankers, you know, teammate specialist or whatever the right terminology is, but you're, you're actually assigning the advisors to that task and making those deep introductions to the right people and making sure that the meetings happen on a regular basis initially until that, that trust and friendship is, is developed, right? Because, whether or not they they trust you almost doesn't make any difference. It has to go that next level. Yep, very true. 
All right. So I'm going to introduce a different subject here, but let's just spend, you know, literally a couple minutes each on this because it's a it's, it's a subject that I'm sure we're going to revisit, but it is a little bit of a uh, a sidebar. So so I don't want to spend too much time in it now, but I'm really interested in getting your high level thoughts. And that is AI. So, you know, chat GPT is all over the place, right? You can't avoid hearing about it. So with that kind of stuff all over the headlines, just just give me your high level thoughts on how AI may come into play in our industry and whether or not you're already seeing some some use cases. Uh, I, I, either one of you, I don't know which one want to take that one on, but Terry, let, let's pass it to you first. How's that? Go ahead, Terry. <laughs> I have engaged with chat GPT personally, uh, just out of curiosity and, and triggered by listening to the radio and hearing the the tech news reporter talk about it but recently i did listen to a financial services industry reporter talk about it and interviewed an advisor and they were just playing around saying okay tell me some investment advice and whatever the ai program was spit it out and the advisor went through it and said well this is probably pretty darn close to what my conversation would look like with the exception of of these things so our companies, I did get in there. Um, both our credit union and our broker dealer have, have uh, shut down access to, I think, many of those sites, at least the ones we all know about. So for us, I don't know of anyone on my team that's messed around with it. I don't know on the outside what they're doing, but I do know it's getting a lot of news and a lot of attention. And it's one of those, if you think, ah, yeah, it, it won't affect us, that's where you're going to run into problems. And I don't know who the smart folks are sitting around figuring out like what the next chess move looks like in our industry that would be helpful or harmful. But uh, I know I've paid enough attention to it. But this, just this question alone has me thinking like, huh, maybe I should dig a little deeper and see what is going on in more of that, you know, that overarching sphere of, of, what's being done with it as it relates to what we do for a living. Because man, I'm sure it could be very beneficial, but on the same note, there are probably a lot of pitfalls out there, like buy gold now or something. I don't know. Yep. Sell everything. Get precious metals. Don't do that, by the way, if you're listening. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's, so I have some thoughts, but Don, let me let me uh let me hear your thoughts first. Yeah, I, I don't even know really how to begin to formulate my, my my thoughts on this, other than you know having recently seen a few interviews with um, Elon Musk, and I and I realize how how small my my brain is compared to to that guy's, and and um, I, I have no what I what I know right is this will change our lives and our the lives of our clients in ways that I I can't personally anticipate. You know, I mean, our, our, our world was changed with you know, those algorithms became more widely, you know, used and, and put into put into programs. What's the difference between AI and and, and that? I, I think it's the intelligence, right? It's the ability to learn and the, the need to not make for a person to go in and make changes to your algorithms and things of that, that nature. It's the that the you know, technology will, will do it based upon its continual, you know, continually and seemingly incessant you know, understanding of, of what, what it's, what it's doing. <laughs> so I, I don't know how it will change our lives and at what point it will change our lives and our responsibilities. But I, I suspect that it will be a tool that we use in, in the, the value of that, 
relationship with the client will be just that, right? Is it, it, it as Terry said very, very early on in the, you know, conversation, it's not, you know, the, the product per se, it's about, you know, our relationship with our, with our clients and, and helping connect with them emotionally. And I don't know at what rate and how um, AI will be able to do that. Um, but I, I think that's our, our future. That's our world, right? Being able to connect with people emotionally um, so that they, they do the right things because it's not just about logic. You know, we, we, we all know about the harms of and dangers of smoking, of obesity, and yet does it cause you to not, not, not put that second scoop on an ice cream cone, you know, <laughs> it's, it's maybe yes, maybe no. So, um, it, it does take today, right. And hopefully for the foreseeable future, a, a person to actually relate with that person and get people excited and emotionally invested in what they want to accomplish in life using the tools that they have to include, you know, AI. But that's my best guess. It reminded me, this conversation was reminding me of all the work and effort that went into robo-advising and the discussions about, you know, can it take over for financial advisors? And the moral of the story is it hasn't. And I don't know how prevalent it, it still is, to be honest with you. But I feel like we took it seriously as an industry. And as long as you take it seriously and you dress it and you look at, you know, how can this help or how could this be not harmful to us, but harmful to a client if, if it's spitting out incorrect information, those sorts of things, um, treating it with respect until you fully understand it, I think will be the key. I'll, I'll give you a few thoughts. You know, robo is more prevalent than we realize. And the, the, the reason why I say that is because um, it's less prevalent for the baby boomers and much more prevalent for all the generations that came after the baby boomers. And it's prevalent on their phones, right? Because think of SoFi and Acorns and Wealthfront, et cetera. They're using that. I mean, you don't have to go very much farther than your ACH studies to see that they are, right? And that's robo stuff. So it is prevalent, especially as that generation accumulates more and more wealth, which they are clearly, right? So, so it's going to sneak up on us. So we, we have to be very aware of that. But back to AI. My opinion is that uh, the the AI that is chat GPT oriented is getting all the headlines, but that's not where AI really sits, right? So we're, as, as banks and credit unions, we're already using AI to a very significant degree, and we don't even realize it because it's embedded. So where are we using it? So y your bank or credit union is, is uh, assessing risk management strategies based on AI if you're using you know, core and back office systems of, of 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 any size and scale, or their partners, right? I mean, so there are there are uh, or there are software companies out there that provide to the banking industry um, risk management applications that are full of AI already. They just haven't promoted it as AI, but it's exactly what it is. Fraud detection is all AI these days, right? But they don't promote it that way. But now it's the shiny new thing, so you're seeing. You're seeing that term come up more and more in companies that are providing risk management to you guys, right? What's my point? My point is, at first, everybody, when the internet first started coming out, so what's the internet and how do I use it and how is it going to affect us, right? Well, now we take it for granted because it's embedded in everything we do. It's embedded in our phones. It's embedded in our televisions. I mean, my literally, my range is connected to the internet, which I think is stupid, but it is. <laughs> um, 
our cars are connected to the internet. I mean, I can start my car remotely from my phone, right? That's over the internet. So you kind of take it for granted. So I think AI will sneak up on us in the background as an embedded part of solutions. And so how does that uh, affect financial services? Well, I, I think the first thing we're going to see is, is uh, you know, AI applications that are, uh, for lack of a better term, um, data mining applications that will look at all the data in our institution and make suggestions, send it up to the CRM system. You may want to think about this, or you may want to think about that, or you may want to talk to your client about this. Some of those suggestions are going to be brilliant and others are going to be not that brilliant, but that's how AI learns as well, right? So I think it's going to be embedded in in in, in things that we do in, in helpful ways, but I mean, we're it's going to be an ev evolution. So I think that the chat GTP is that shiny new object that everybody's looking at, but that's like in your face AI versus in the background AI. And I think that's where AI is going to catch on, my opinion. All right. Last question before we have a, a fun lightning round question. Bob, back to you. Uh, thanks, guys. Um, great conversation. And hopefully um, we're not replaced by chat GPT because I can imagine a podcast being totally GPT generated. Um, so we have to make sure we keep this, you know, topical and, you know, have some fun, make sure we get the last thing because I don't think they can reproduce our laughs. So this is the favorite question of the podcast for me. It's all about, um, you know, protection. You can e easily connect each of the six core needs into protection. And we've always been talking about helping clients manage their assets, but we don't talk a lot about protecting their assets. So are we only doing half our job? And I know all of the obstacles. Um, less than 3% of BD revenue comes from protection products. We always hear it's too hard, too long. You know, there's too little commissions in it. Financial planning software dictates that maybe 5% this 5% usage of the protection component. But seriously, grow and protect. Terry, what are you doing on the protect side of grow and protect? We're we're clawing our way towards uh, greater implementation and trying to turn that corner of thinking about it versus talking about it versus building it into a plan. Uh, when I took my first role as a financial advisor, it was for the financial planning company that helped me get my affairs in order when I was in the service. And in that line of work, obviously, death is more in the forefront, right? So insurance is a big part of the plan because your job is to put yourself at risk on a regular basis. Uh, and, you know, here in the banking world, I'm a little less worried about that, but it's, it's still something we have to be concerned with. I refer to it and I, I stole this phrase from someone, but I completely agree. It's financial malpractice. If you're not including risk protection, because you can think you think you have the best plan in the world and the family walks out the door and the, the primary breadwinner gets hit by a bus. And now all those years of income that you thought were going to be there to help build wealth, put the kid through school and, and whatever else their goals were is, is now completely kaput. So what we've found, gosh, it's, it's navigating the challenges, which in my experience are 20 page applications, uh, tedious, uh, the processes that you know advisors will look at and say, hey, this is important. I'd rather refer you to your Allstate agent and have them fill this need than spend all this X amount of time and to really arguably not be compensated a lot for the amount of time that goes into it, which I understand. And that's 
kind of the nature of the beast. So our objective is finding who are the providers that are reputable and have the proper service, but also have the, the process that can help us streamline getting that coverage in force, along with what we talked about in our first questions. We have a property and casualty agency here at the credit union in referring our folks over and having them do a complimentary of their homeowners and auto and those sorts of things, which may or may not free up money, which is, again, that journey towards a fully integrated wealth management team as opposed to kind of that, you know, a la carte, do a little of this, do a little of that, but not not everything in a holistic fashion. So I think there are some barriers to entry related to the insurance piece in our world, which I think typically is, right, your life and your long-term care are, we're fortunate enough to have a Medicare team. So that's a, that's something that we can, that's a need that we can fill for clients. So grow and build it out, but it is definitely an uphill battle. Oh, and, and the key term there was financial malpractice, which I've been sitting on my hands thinking about since you first said it, because I've been using that term. We, we've never chatted before about this, but financial malpractice. And you, you also know property and casualty. I'll offer out there that yeah, we all talk about life and health, but what about if a client gets, yeah. no one's talking about personal liability coverages. That could be devastating to a portfolio. There are so many protection needs that are out there. And you're, you're right, you don't have to do it alone. There are plenty of partnerships. This whole um, conversation was about cross-departmental cooperation. There's no cross-department in the bank. It's, it's on the broker-dealer to find that partnership somehow, where? Plenty of places to look for it, right? Absolutely, and something I, when we did our introductions, Scott and I met Briz 2016, I believe, because, or was it 2017? Nonetheless, regardless of the year, it was soon after the fires of Northern California, particularly Santa Rosa, uh, had come within a block of our headquarters. 7,000 structures, burned to the ground, 5,000 of them were primary residences. And I had four direct reports lose their homes that night among you know, countless number of clients. And I say that because they would come in and we'd pull up their policy through the web because they had lost literally everything except for what they carried out that night. And it was gut-wrenching to see what their home insurance coverage was related to fire and the replacement values and, you know, the fine print and, you know, we're not PNC professionals, but man, you have to have a partnership there because folks did not get the value back that they needed to, to replace their homes. And that has an effect on the financial plan that you work so hard on and you leave this, you, you, you leave these weak points or these, you know, these gaping holes in some cases. Absolutely. And there are so many nuances to the property and casualty. Like when you're rebuilding to current code versus old code. Yep. Basement value, inflation factor. There's too much that I, I, I mean, there's such minutia there that none of us on this call can really address it. But that's where we go outside and find those partnerships to really solve. And those are those were horrific events. There are so many events like that. Old National just had issues in Louisville, Kentucky where their bank was invaded. There's coverages for that. There's just so much stuff out there in the protection industry that can really help um, you know, mitigate those risks. So I, I, just, just a quick 
thought that that uh, this came to mind. So having a financial plan without protection components reminds me of something that I think Mike Tyson said, which is, yeah, everybody <laughs> has a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> right. Yes, that that that's surfaced on several of these podcasts. Excellent. Yep. Don, um, you know, we're, we're coming up on the hour here. But Don, do you have, you know, some thoughts about how Wintrust is looking at this whole idea of protect and grow, grow and protect. And I said protect and grow because I, I want to emphasize it in that way. I, I'm shocked, Bob. Shocked. I, <laughs> uh, what, what a profound experience, though, Terry, to, to have that. I just I can't imagine, you know, like you describe people in the m- middle of the night fleeing a fire and then you look at their coverages. Um, yeah, wow. How, how can that not shape what you do <laughs> every day? The, the good news for us, Bob, is, as you know, we have it fully figured out. You know, we have a conversation with each and every one of our clients and 80 percent of our clients have uh, insurance provided by by us, uh, except that that's not true. <laughs> so we, we have we have a, a long, long way to go. I think like, you know, most of us do out 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 here. I think some of the you know practical challenges that Terry described, you know, we'd, we'd certainly you know echo that that sentiment uh, about just, you know, getting getting these over the finish line and the time involved in the the distraction to the advisors and the clients, you know, going going through the underwriting, you know, process for for life uh, in long term care or products certainly. The way we've been approaching it recently, I would say, has has not been a, a, a volume driven exercise. In other words, let's do this for the masses. It's it's instead been for folks who have um, estate, you know, planning challenges and you know, kind of higher ticket, therefore items, and we've we've had a fair amount of success in that that space over the last year, and some contributions to our, you know, revenue stream that we haven't had in the in the past as a result of it. Uh, not necessarily fair or, or broad-reaching to to, you know, the the mass affluent, uh, which is you know very clearly our the constitutes the majority of our clients. Uh, we do need to be better at it, but to the extent that we've had success, it's been working with our you know, insurance uh, partners, the you know, those general agencies that whom we work with, who are the experts uh, on helping us uh, through those complex estate planning you know issues uh, in in addressing it that way. Uh, we do have also uh, an internal um, expert. He's a He's a wizard is what he is. He's an attorney. He's a CPA. He's a has a master's in tax. And you just can't outread the guy. You can't outstudy him. So he, he's really beneficial to have on on our, our team. And when we include him uh, for our high net worth, you know, households, we, we have a really good success rate in, you know, the ability to, again, identify needs that those clients have that they didn't know that they they had, you know, and or to think through a solution in a way that is new new to them. Uh, and then make introductions, you know, to both the insurance partners that we work with and likewise to attorneys who can help, you know, draft the legal documents necessary to affect the, the planning end of it. So that, that's that's where we've had success. But, you know, very clearly we need to be able to expand that success more broadly to our mass affluent uh, clients. And, and that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, when you talk about mass market or mass affluent or affluent or the top tier or elephant hunting it's it's all about partnerships, you know, and, and trying to find the right partner to do it. You can't there's there's so much going on in the protection space that it's really tough to stay on top of all of it. So partnerships is definitely something that can really help. You're lucky that you have a specialist in your organization to help guide that conversation too. Time for the lightning round. And our lightning round question 
if you could go back in time and attend any event in history, what would it be? Terry, I'm going to you first. Wow. So I feel like, you know, a lot of events in history, right, are fairly unpleasant or tragic, right? But the 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 fun stuff, and I'm uh we've gone to some concerts recently and in I think like my childhood and, and you know, teen years, you know, Led Zeppelin's never getting back together from what I understand. So I would love to see them live. And I never saw Tom Petty uh, before he passed. May he rest in peace. So I think there's some music musicians I'd love to see. And then I remember as a, gosh, as a, I feel like a young teen or preteen, the, the space shuttle landing was kind of a big deal. So uh, I feel like maybe like the, like the moon, the moon landing, which who knows, maybe we'll have one here soon enough that, that we'll all get to see. That's good. The moon landing. Um, if it was real, right? There's, you know, if, if, oh, it, if it really happens. Conspiracy theorists as well. Right? Um, for sure. Don. I need that DeLorean and back to the future. There you go. And I need to go back to 1800 whatever, the moment where Charles Comiskey bought the uh, Sioux <laughs> City Cornhuskers and uh, began, thus began a path to founding the Chicago White Sox. And I would tell him, just stop. Just stop. <laughs> because as a long, lifelong and currently suffering Chicago White Sox fan, you know, I want the pain removed. I just want it removed. So, you know, the, the best way to you know, avoid the hurt of getting punched in the face is to not get punched <laughs> in the face. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be asked this question shortly, I'm sure, and I'm going to go down that same path with Scott. Yeah. All right. So, so Terry, I'm going to make you jealous. I saw Led Zeppelin at Madison Square Garden. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I saw Tom Petty at the Asbury Park Convention Center, not far from the Stone Pony. Um, so I've seen both of them. That's because I'm older than you. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, so the back to the, the DeLorean, uh, Don, I'm going back farther than you. So, uh, yeah, so I'm a patriot. I want to go back to 1776 and the reading of the Declaration of Independence from the balcony of the State House in Boston, because I can't imagine anything more exciting than the birth of a country. And that's when it happened, right? So that would be cool. It's awesome. That's mine. Jeez. Bob? Now, how do you follow that comment? <laughs> <laughs> you follow it by saying, and those of you that are listening can't see this, but there's a New York Mets club in my hand. And I would have liked to attend the 1969 or 1986 final game of the World Series because they haven't won since. So I hear White Sox pain. But in 69, I actually remember seeing um, Neil Armstrong step onto the moon as Walter Cronkite was narrating that. And I'm older than you, too. But I have a feeling we're kind of, <laughs> kind of close in age. So... I did see that live. Well, as close as live as you can on a black and white TV. Right. Same. Yep. Hey, hey Bob, right. the, you're a Mets fan. I know Scott's a Red Sox fan. Have those two ever hooked up in the World Series at all? Well, maybe this is the sixth game of the 1986 World Series that I want to see. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Rest his soul. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey Scott, when we were in, uh, when my family and I were in, in Boston some years ago, uh, we went to the old, old North Bridge, and there's a 
Dasa dressed as a you know patriot giving a tour, and I hadn't signed on for the tour, but I you know we we just arrived there, and I was lingering closely enough to him to li- to listen to the you know the, the historical construct of the thing. You know, meanwhile, my family had had enough, so they they were walking back you know to where they you know parked the car, and and I hear screaming. <laughs> it's not not blood curdling screaming, but you know, hey, something's going on here, screaming. And there's a ruckus, and and everyone in the tour turns around. And they're trying to see what's going on over at the old North Bridge, and it was uh, it was my I don't know how old he was, but a five six year old kid who whose flip flop fell off the old North Bridge into that you know river or whatever whatever you know, the creek ro- rolling underneath it. But uh, yep. that's that's my memory of uh, <laughs> a trip the to flip flop. <laughs> yeah. The, no, known by historians as the second incident at the North Bridge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the, the so so the first incident, right? It's where the first shots in the Revolutionary War were fired. You remember a general said, "Don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes." Right? That was General Prescott, who grew up here in Groton, and right around the corner from me is the Prescott School, named after him. So that's the well, one of the most famous historical things about this little town that I live in here in Massachusetts. How about that? Yeah, that's neat. and uh, the, the flip flops weren't invented yet when he uh, when he said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, All he, right. He well, did. I think it's time to say goodbye and thank you yep. guys for uh, your participation and all your insights. This has been an enjoyable discussion, and much your participation is much. Much appreciated. So, uh, so thank you very much. And Bob, I know you have a bunch of wrap-up comments. So take it away. I, I do have some wrap-up comments, including my top three takeaways that has become a tradition here. I think this is the first time ever that the six core needs—that's income now, income later, liquidity, credit, legacy, and protection—were mentioned by, first by someone other than Scott and I. So meeting those <laughs> needs leads to departmental cooperation. So that's number one. Number two, earn the trust of other partners in the bank by finding aligned interests. Kind of goes back to the first one, but seriously, I think that's a good one as well. Number three, the mortgage business should be the easiest part of the bank to partner with. What is it? Uh, And here's a bonus one. Learn AI and ChatGBT. Learn it before it learns you and take it seriously. So... You know, there's a lot going on in today's podcast. Listen to it. Listen to it again. And thanks again to our panel. Don and Terry, thank you so much. Thank you to Jeff Hartney and Kat Seifert from the BISA. Thanks to Ameriprise for their continuing sponsorship of this podcast series. And don't forget, we have two other podcast series focused on our industry entitled Untangling Fintech and Industry Leadership and Success. These can be found wherever you get your other podcasts and music. Wait, you don't get podcasts and music? Go to Apple, go to Spotify, Google it, you'll find it. Ask ChatGPT. So now it's time to say goodbye. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott. <laughs> Thank you all. Come and listen in. <laughs> all right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us for this episode of BISA Industry Trend Watch. And thanks to Ameriprise for their much appreciated support. Be sure to subscribe to our two other podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success, focused on industry-leading performance and success stories, and Untangling Fintech, aimed at helping you keep up with the evolution of technology offerings in our industry. Goodbye until next month.